Welcome to Shine Central Coast. I'm Chris Gertz. I'm Sue Bradley, and we also have Sil Marie behind the camera. We can't wait to introduce you to our incredible Shiners. Each episode, we share a story of a unique individual on the Central Coast. We dive into how they got to the coast and how they bring more beauty into our incredible community. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Shine Central Coast. Lean back and see you soon. Today we're here at the Walkabout Park with Tessin. She, she is an incredible human being. Um, together with her husband, Gerald, they're running the Walkabout Park now for 15 years. And not only are they looking after our wildlife and we have a beautiful emu in our back, happy feet, um, <laughs> learning so much and really conserving what we have out there. Their heart is just definitely at the right spot. Um, everything you guys do here for the community, not just the wildlife, but also the people involved is just absolutely incredible. And I got to meet Hessen when in December, November, when we were all like leading up into the entire fire season here. So I feel so much with everything you guys went through. And it's such a beautiful thing to see you today in rain. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for joining us here on Shine Central yeah. Coast. Um, yeah, no, thanks for in thanks thanks for having this conversation with us you know uh, you mentioned what we do for the community but it's actually what we do with the community this is just a most phenomenal community and although I always loved the Central Coast community I never realized how it's not just a few amazing people out there it's everyone this is the best place in the world, brings out the best in people. And um, and we really learned that when we were doing the evacuations for the fire. Mm. Uh, you invested before. Like, like Jake, we had Jake Hassar here yeah. um, really early on in our yeah. interviews. And you were the first who said, okay, mate, come. Share well, your wisdom, despite not having like all the certificates yeah. um, that other people potentially have. But you just trust, you know. Yeah, and it's about getting to know people. Just like here, we get to know the animals and Happy Feet who's walking past. It's about it's about people, and that's always been my life. I mean, even when I was in the corporate world. Yeah, because you have not just been a little bit in the corporate world. You were the CEO of a um, life insurance company, yeah. general manager. Like you had seen your roles yeah. in that very different. Well, not industry. that different because it's all together to do with people. Eh? Well, I remember when I was coming here and I was decided to do this full time, and my colleagues giving me a card saying from one zoo to another. <laughs> But, oh yeah, I used to work in insurance. I know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> but the but the reality is, it it even then it was about people. I used to um, get called on to help companies fix broken businesses. Yeah, and the way that I did it. So you decided for to a buy a broken hobby. business. <laughs> to buy a broken business. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. So, but the way I always did it was not by saying, okay, well, all these people aren't doing a very good job. Let's get rid of them and get new people. It would be getting to know the people and what they were good at and moving them around. So they were actually doing what they enjoyed and what they were good at. And that's how we used to get things working. And here, yes, you talk about buying this place. <laughs> it was the most irresponsible thing <laughs> I ever did. It was, there was no way it could sustain itself. Um, not with any of the concepts that I had in mind about a wildlife sanctuary. 
um, I underestimated horribly how much it costs to keep it going. I mean, just the electricity on the fox-proof fence is thousands of dollars. The good news is we're getting solar. Oh, yes. Yes, at that last. That is beautiful. So we can live pretty simply yeah. at the moment. And, um, and yeah, that's... I've got JobKeeper, so I'm using my JobKeeper yeah. Yeah. to buy solar. <laughs> but oh, how, how did that. you come into buying this business in particular? Uh, I mean, there's so many other businesses on <laughs> land or opportunities. Why was it this space? Hang on, what, a bit, especially because you used to live in, you used to work in Melbourne. Yes, oh, I lived in Sydney and I commuted yeah. to Melbourne, yeah. so I knew the commuting thing. Yeah, and then yeah, but the commuting thing. Yeah, yeah. Sydney to Melbourne, but then Central Coast to Sydney to Melbourne. Yeah. And that was the thing. I um, I used to commute. I used to be here just for basically 48 hours a week or less because of the commuting time. And we had a team here. Jake Kassar, you mentioned him earlier. He was our first employee. <laughs> um, him and um, Nick Carson, also from here on the yeah. coast, who's now with Gosford City Council, Central Coast Council. Um, he was our first manager. And between them and Gerald and me, we kept this place going. But I was very distracted because I was needing to make money to keep this place going and fund what we did here. And I did that for about seven years. And then seven years ago, I decided to take two years and focus on getting Walkabout Park viable. Yeah. Um, and it was also when we were in the thick of the court case to stop the sand quarry next door. I mean, all of this, mm. this entire valley was going to be a 30 meter deep crater in the ground. And we had to stop that. That's what I mean when you have your heart at the right place, because I mean, you, you just said, that no, guys, point we of have insanity. To yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> a little bit, yeah. but thank big you, hearts, like really mm. big hearts. Yeah. Well, you just said, no, this, this is not right. Yeah. Where other yeah. businesses would say, yeah, okay. But you're like, mm. no, we don't need that. Well, We're I was raised to care. You know, I come from South Africa Yeah. Um, and growing up in South Africa in the apartheid era, and there were such huge injustices happening. And so much of it was entrenched in legislation and the way society was structured. They called it apartheid, meaning keeping people apart. Mm. And the whole thing was, if you don't know people, you and they're different from you, you only notice the differences and you mistrust those differences. And that's how apartheid was maintained. So coming here to Australia, I came with a huge sense of those injustices. And whether it's about people or about animals or about the environment or about future generations, um, it's impossible not to care and to care until it hurts. Mm -hmm. And if you care that much, you've got to do something about it. And that's kind of where Gerald and I were both coming from. At that, those early stages, we didn't really understand how much needed to be done and how much needed to change and what our role would be. Um, but so at the beginning, it was a bit bewildering and confusing and we, we felt very hopeless at times mm -hmm. because it just felt that the battles were too big for us. We underestimated our community. Yeah. I mean, you've been raising funds yeah. already, like during the fire season and now again mm. to create a beautiful world. You share mm. what you're just raising money for at the moment. Yeah. Well, if we backtrack from that a yeah, moment okay. and just go back to historically with the court case, mm. yeah. we That's couldn't right. have won that court case on our own. No. What happened was the community it took a few years and they suddenly realized what was going on and they just arrived like the cavalry and said, right, <laughs> at the point when Gerald and I were too exhausted to go on, 
Wow. They came in with their hugs. It was pre-COVID, so they were real hugs, <laughs> not virtual hugs. And, um, and, and they just didn't let us fall over. They gave us that emotional strength to keep going. And that was a small cohort of the community, you know, mostly people who are very involved with activism and so on. So we really understood the amazing people in that space. Yeah. But we hadn't properly appreciated the people in the broader community, you know, people who are just getting on with nine to five jobs and raising the kids and, and maybe aren't as involved from an active point of view in environmental protection. So for us, before we even thought about fundraising, because we just thought nobody would help us financially because we didn't realize so many people cared as much as we do. Yeah. So this is where the Central Coast came in. You know, on the was it the 17th of November or the 15th of November? Gosh, mm. for the first time, <laughs> so much has happened. It was yeah. somewhere in those two-day period. We got that phone call and said, the fires are coming. We can't stop them. They're going to be there within three to ten days, and we can't help you, but you need to be ready. And that was the message from the Rural Fire Service. Wow. They said it's coming, but they understood because they're part of our community. They understood that here at Walkabout Park, it was no point waiting until it was time to officially evacuate. Yeah. We had all these animals, so they gave us really good advance notice. Mm. And we looked around and we thought, right, 300 animals, about 220 in care, and a lot of wild animals that we, we have a, a relationship with because we've lived with them for so long. Um, how can we save these animals and how can we save their environment? Because it's no good saving the animals and having nowhere for them to come home to. Now, what you were talking about, like, I remember how important the main building is because it's kind of like an arc because all the animals, especially yeah. the wild animals, yeah. are just hiding there. Yeah. And we know from experience, just living with these animals, we know what they do when they're afraid. Mm. And when there's danger, a lot of them run under the visitor center building yeah. and also under this house. We're quite high off the ground. Yeah. So this is a safe place. If you hear a kookaburra alarm call, this is where the animals run to. <laughs> so we thought, right, although we don't really care about the buildings and they're insured and everything, they're a safe place for the yeah. animals. So if we can make these buildings safer, especially the underneath of the buildings safer, yeah. then those animals, when they're afraid, we know that's where they're going to run to. So that was, yeah, so stepping back to when, the, when we put the call out to the community, when we realized what a huge job we had, and it felt impossible, one Facebook post reached 100,000 people in two wow. or three days. But overnight, it reached, I don't remember how many thousand people, and I put the Facebook post up at about 11 o'clock that night, and I, no, about one o'clock that morning. <laughs> And I woke up at about 3.30, so about two and a half hours. Overnight, when most people are sleeping, mm, yeah. the Central Coast had all woken each other up and organized themselves to come and help us. So when, by the time we opened the gates at 8 o'clock in the morning, there were queues of cars <laughs> of people driving in to help us get these animals out of here. Yeah, And so what was absolutely phenomenal, that was the moment when I realized it's not just the activists on the coast who are amazing, it's everybody. And um, people, our biggest problem then was the communication between us and thousands of people who wanted to help. Yeah. But then some people stepped forward and said, we'll help 
with the communications. So a couple of people came in. My sister was one of them, who's also a local, Sally. (laughs) And, um, And then a film producer who we had met about a few months beforehand who was helping shoot a kids' series here at Walkabout Park. And the two of them... Anne and Sally got together and they said, right, we'll look after the communications. And they became our communication hub. And then other people joined in with that, Lynn, Justine, various people. And they became the hub of people who helped to manage the people who wanted to help. And then it all started to go really, really smoothly. And I stood back and drew on everything I'd learned in corporate world about (laughs) broken businesses and organizing people. It was like, okay, how do I work out how to make sure these people know that we need them but also know when we're going to need them so not yeah. everybody's here at the same time and you stepped I in at that point that. yeah exactly. Um, yeah. so so that was when we really learned about this community and it was people saying I've got a horse float people saying I don't know anything about animals and I'm a bit scared of them but I bake really well I'm going to bring you cake <laughs> yeah there was food incredible food there every was day exactly <laughs> everything we needed things we didn't even realize we would need wheelie bins wheelie bins <laughs> absolutely wheelie bins and garden hoses and you know so it was really the community stepped in and irrespective of what they could do in combination they brought us everything we needed to save these animals yeah water trucks like (laughs) like literally but everybody could help wherever you are some could send some money Mm. some could just be there Mm. physically yeah others had knowledge that they could bring exactly it must have been for you just so it was such a relief and i think you provide an opportunity for the people in the community Mm. to be involved and help you and to partnership with you through that you know people always wanting to look for those opportunities and you and that was one of the things i noticed early on at first i couldn't say no when people wanted to help and it became quite chaotic because i realized they needed people were desperately needing to do something there were fires burning all over New South Wales and everybody felt so helpless in a way it was easier for me Mm. because I knew what I had to do yeah I had no options but there were people standing back and what I learned through the first few weeks was that people were more than happy to stand back and wait for when we needed them Originally, when it first started, I, as I said, I, I, I felt hard saying no because I didn't want people to think we didn't <laughs> yeah. care about the fact that they cared. Yeah. But people were amazing. And what I learned through that, even for myself in a crisis, I think what's really important is that people get on with what they normally do until they need it. So the best way to help mm. when the whole world is going crazy mm. is go to work, look after the kids, do the shopping, mm. keep normal. Because you know something, as we've learned now with the COVID, is that it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Mm. So especially and for the you people guys. who come in early yeah. get really tired. Oh, yeah. And the fact that there are layers of people out there keeping normality, keeping their energy reserves up, yeah. who you can call on later on. Yeah. It's like when you have a new baby. Everybody arrives and they're all bringing you, they're all bringing you clothes to fit newborn baby. But when your child is six months, nine months, 12 months old, 
did you know? And it's like, I've got all these size zero clothes <laughs> and I can't afford to. It was, it's like that. It's, it's that this, and this is where this community, the Central Coast community mm. really comes into its own is that people care not only in the heat of the immediate crisis, but people maintain that level of care long term. So one of the hardest things with COVID was actually being shut down and not being able to allow people to come in and help us. Mm. Because you also have a lot of volunteers. Mm. We do have a lot of volunteers. And with social distancing, um, we had to make sure that people who were coming in were people who could work independently so that we weren't all in a small space at the same time for prolonged periods. And so people who didn't have experience, they might have experience, but didn't have experience relative to what we do here, we had to say, not yet. We've got your name. We've got your number. And in fact, yesterday, I let out, in fact, today, 2.30, yesterday, I let people know that we'll have our first information session today. And so we can start now start bringing the volunteers back in because there are a lot of people who really, like for us, their whole perspective of the world has shifted. Yeah. And they're looking for more to do than just what they were doing and doing well. They're looking for something that gives an added layer of meaning in the new reality that we're in now. You know, I remember last year, the end of last year with the fires and on my Facebook post saying things like new reality and people were like, it's not new reality. We've always had bushfires. <laughs> and it was so funny because only a few weeks beforehand, when they closed all the schools, when we had an extreme weather day, um, I was quite indignant. You know, we always get extreme weather. This is Australia. Why are we keeping our kids out of school? Oh my gosh. It's really hard to actually appreciate the level of change that has happened in the last few months. But we're all there now, I think, most yeah. of us. What have you seen with that change with the animals, the way that the habitat, I know you're talking about the COVID <laughs> the times. eyes are yeah. just sparkling. <laughs> you would oh, see that firsthand. So it's have been, seen? we have learned so much from the animals. I keep looking over here because happy feet, <laughs> happy feet, the emu is hanging out there wanting a cuddle. Um, but first of all, with the evacuation, Evacuating 300 animals, some of them wild wildlife, into an environment that they weren't familiar with, watching how those animals dealt with those environments. Because we stayed involved. Our rangers were on the road making sure that the people who were looking after the animals for us were being looked after. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we really saw how those animals dealt with stress. Mm. When we brought them back, it was really beautiful to see how when we moved them away, some of them really had a problem adjusting. Now, usually we might move just a handful of animals a year for some reason, especially those that are part of the breed for release programs where we're doing rewilding programs across Australia. So we have to move animals around to keep genetic diversity. Um, we've always noticed that the animals have some stress behaviors. Like when a kangaroo gets out of a bag, it's really disoriented. Yeah. When we brought them back and they got out of the bag, they were perfect. Wow. They got out, they looked around, and I realized they're not disoriented because they've been in a bag for two hours go driving from here to there. Yeah. They're disoriented because they went into the bag in their home, got out of their bag in a strange place, and they're like, I don't know where I am. Everything yeah. different smell. It's hardly, yeah, so hardly surprising they'd be bouncing into trees and things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brought them back here, and we also thought maybe it was an effect of the sedation we give them that makes them disoriented and bounce into trees. Yeah. Brought them back, some sedated, some not. 
perfectly fine. Yeah. Got out of their bags, sniffed the air, looked around, thought, oh my gosh, I've woken up from a nightmare. I'm home <laughs> and just got on with their lives. So that was the one learning. And then with the shutdown. So yes. with, we were closed from the 27th of March until the 1st of June. Yeah. And the animals just reclaim the space. Now, we've always said to people, when you visit our wildlife sanctuary, um, Walkabout Wildlife Park is... How big is it? 80, 80 acres is fox-proofed. Uh, wow. And then we've got another 100 acres that we want to fox-proof. That's where the fundraising comes in. <laughs> but leaving the yeah. fundraising aside for a moment, yeah. how the animals behaved in lockdown when the only people on site were the rangers who they're very familiar with and we're very predictable. They know what we're going to do and how loud we're going to talk and where we're going to go. So the animals just reclaimed the space. And as I was saying, as a wildlife sanctuary, we've always said, this is the animal's world. Mm -hmm. Unlike a very structured zoo where there's cages and cement paths and so on, you're actually going into the bush. This is the animal's world. But I hadn't properly appreciated how much people coming in was affecting how the animals behaved and lived and owned their world. This last two months has been amazing. One thing, the lorikeets. They used to fly in in the morning for 20 minutes, fly through in the evening for 20 minutes. Now they're here all day. Um, the black cockatoos, the same story. They come to wow. feed on the casuarina trees. And we used to find only in breeding season when they had young chicks, they would stay all day. Now they're moving in and they're just staying all day out there owning the space. So even the birds up in the trees, we're noticing that they, their behavior has changed since there's not a lot of people in their space. And, of course, the animals that are walking around. The chickens are so funny. The chickens and a wild brush turkey have all kind of joined forces. And we've got this feathery family of misfits. And the brush turkey hangs out in the farmyard with the chickens. And then he takes them out of the farmyard, and they all head off into the bush, and they go looking for bugs and things. So he's taught them how to reclaim some of their wild behavior, beautiful. even the chickens. And it is beautiful. And they're still doing it, even though the visitors are back. <laughs> it's like, this is our space. If we want to eat worms under that tree, you people need to get out of my way. So it's not only that it's interesting how the wild wildlife isn't prejudiced about the farm animals at all. And they've yeah. kind of just extended that animal family. So really the job for us now is to make sure that as people start coming back and yeah. people are coming back to love our local community, and we, we poured in, right? is yeah. that we all teach each other how to interact with the animals and the animal space on the animal's terms. Mm, yeah. Because we don't want to lose any of this. We've gained so much through this. Let's learn from it. Yeah. And as human beings, I think we're all going to be a lot better off for it yeah. and also better people. So we'll be better off and everything around us will be better off if we can maintain these behaviors. And again, this is where our Central Coast community comes in. What I'm loving, we were so busy over the weekend and yet people were so respectful of the mm. animals. And people, I think we've all, it's almost like we've hit a reset button. Yeah. Right, we're relearning, right. isn't it? Yeah. So how do I behave? Like even between mm. humans, we're mm. just like, am I allowed to hug you? 
just get exactly yeah. instead of just like boom mm. walking yeah. into everything that's typically human yeah. we just conquer the entire world just take a deep breath it's a respect mm. a new yeah. respect that we've yeah. had to learn yeah. again and also it's towards respect, the animals appreciation yes value mm. you know we're all looking at the world around us and we're learning to love the trees mm. um <laughs> it's quite funny because i always used to when i was trying to explain to people where I'm coming from. Um, I'm not an extreme greenie in that I, my perspective of the world and the animals is people are animals too. Mm-hmm. You know, some people look at the world and they feel that there's no place for people in the world. I believe there is a place for people, but people need to use the intellect that we've been given to actually inhabit that space responsibly. And inhabit that space unselfishly. So I believe people have a footprint and that's fine, but we need to make sure it's a footprint and we're not going stomp, stomp, stomp all over everything. So I believe there is a place for people coming to a wildlife sanctuary and it's a perfect opportunity for us to all learn to interact with our animals with that level of respect. But what I'm loving now is when the community is visiting, and we've just had a week of it now, um, we opened a week ago yesterday, is that um, people are coming in and they've already got that new awareness. Yeah. People are wanting, instead of people wanting to come and see the animals, people are coming and they're telling me they want to spend some time in the bush. And that's what I've always said about Walkabout Park. Walkabout Park is not about the animals. It's about this is the Australian bush alive with wildlife. You have the animals, but let's appreciate so much more than being able to cuddle a koala. Um, koalas don't actually <laughs> like being cuddled, yeah. but we do appreciate them. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, this, this preparedness to just stand back and watch the animals instead of wanting to intrude mm. and, and, and impose ourselves in their space. And that's beautiful. So, yep, love this community so much and all the fundraising that we've been doing. Um, is about expanding what we do. So we need to do a lot more of that. For the really last... working together with with national park as well. It's yeah. not it, as you said. It's not your norm. It's not a zoo. It yeah. is just full stop. It's just well, not a zoo. Sanctuary means safe place. That's it's a it. safe place for animals and people. Yeah, mm. like injured animals come mm. in, but also breeding for wildlife. And I had no yeah. idea about that. But breeding so they can go back yeah. safely. Yeah, I think there's a big thing, you know, often we think about breeding animals and we're like, oh, cute baby animals. We all want to cuddle babies. It's a survival <laughs> thing. It's how babies survive yeah. by being cute. And as humans, we find it very difficult to resist the urge to cuddle things that are cute. <laughs> Here, it's not about breeding animals so that people will come and visit us and appreciate the cute animals. When we're involved with breeding here at Walkabout Park, it's always either the animals just doing what animals do, yeah, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> which is great they own the space but it's where we are actively involved with breeding animals it's always with breed for release programs and the advantage here with not only the 80 fox proofed acres but if we can fox proof the other 100 acres or at least part of it is that we can make sure that those animals breed in a wild environment 
That is conducive to the Australian native habitat. Exactly, their own habitat. So they know how to find food. They know what native predators are out there and how to hide from them and how to protect their young. So they actually retain those behaviours because one of our biggest problems in Australia is our breed for release programs in the past have not been very successful. We always put in the newspaper about how we released all these Tasmanian devils, but we don't mention how few of them survive that first year. And that's because so many of them are bred in a captive environment. They don't have the skills. So here we've got all of the space. So all this fundraising that we've been doing with the community, we haven't actually spent any of that money yet. Yeah. Because it's not there to help us run Walkabout Park. Yeah. It's there to help us expand the sanctuary so that we can create more safe space for the animals, so that we can protect more of the bush against bushfire, so that we can also make sure that when these animals breed on these breed for release programs, they know how to be wild. Yeah. So yeah. when they move to areas that were burnt out by the fires and we're trying to repopulate animals that have gone extinct in those areas, mm -hmm. that they go in there and they know how to look after themselves. They're not reliant on humans. That is so, and that is such a beautiful vision. Mm -hmm. It is such a beautiful vision for the coast to have this hub, um, yeah. have this native mm -hmm. bush basically at the end, yeah. the entire yeah. of Australia being foxproof. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So one of the, one of the things with um, with the 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 fox proofing is, and I think this is where we've fallen down in the past with all the wonderful work that's gone into try to rewild areas yeah. with in with animals from those areas, is we haven't properly understood why the animals in that area went extinct in the first mm. place. That is so important. And so much of that is domestic dogs mm. running off the lead mm. or domestic dogs having escaped or been released into the wild mm. and become feral. Mm. Yeah. And so many of these animals. So we've got to be very careful if we are releasing animals into the wild that we've removed. The, I mean, they survived for thousands of years. <laughs> and then we brought in dogs, cars, cats, rabbits. Mm. And foxes. and foxes. And so we really need to make sure that if those are the reasons why those animals went extinct in the first place, that we find a way to protect those areas from those introductions before we start releasing those animals. Otherwise, we'll feel good. We're releasing animals into the wild, but they won't mm. survive. Mm. Mm. There's a lot of investment in that too. Mm. So you're using so much energy to go down that path. And That's not right. Have it. Yes. Yeah. So so our, if, to, to fox-proof another 30 acres, remove all the feral predators that are inside that area um, and properly set it up so that the animals can live wild in that area. It's going to cost us, depending on how much support we can get for getting things at cost mm. and so on, it's going to cost us somewhere between half a million and a million dollars. Yeah. But wow, the, the return on that. Oh, and to do it here locally, yeah. in your sanctuary. Yeah. You know, you've got the resources, yeah. the volunteers. And Central Coast, I mean, the, the community here are saying, we want to come and help, we want to come and help. It just takes time to set it up. What but does the boy, coast we, mean to you? Oh, I could never leave this place. <laughs> I could not leave this place. You know, I've lived all over the world. I've lived in many different countries. Yeah. And in Australia, I've lived in various places. But really, there's a sense of belonging here and a sense of community that really makes me feel safe. Wow. And it makes me feel that we have shared ideas and shared values. And 
together, now that we've learned how to find each other, <laughs> together we can do so much that won't only be good for the Central Coast but will be good for the whole world. Mm, totally. Mm. What drew you to the Central Coast? What was the gold, you know, the beautiful end of the rainbow? Well, it was a lot less romantic than that. <laughs> it was a broken business. <laughs> we, we were looking for a house in the bush. We'd never worked with animals before. We'd visited national parks and we'd visited various places. We loved animals, but we had no idea of how to look after them or how to look after their habitat. We were looking for a house in the bush with no neighbours. Okay, um, well. And then, animal, animal neighbours. <laughs> and then we found ourselves in a wildlife sanctuary and realised at that stage it was just foxproof. Mm. There was a foxproof fence, this house, the visitor centre and some kangaroos and emus. Mm. And then we got this growing appreciation of how, how much could be done in a fox-proofed area. And so that's when we started our Bilby Breed for Release programs and our Flying Fox Rescue program and, um, you know, our, our, our Dingo Education program and bringing all of these into this fox-proofed safe area. Who was your greatest mentor back then? You know, you must have had some really good mentors to help you through that new early um, process of learning about animals. And to be honest, we didn't, I didn't have a mentor Again, it was much smaller then, mm. but it was a community. Yep. It mm. was people who joined our team, each with a little bit of knowledge, and we pooled and shared that knowledge, mm. and we grew from there. So within this type of environment, um, you know, my mentors are actually more from the business world. There was nobody to learn from because what we do here is so unique. We're not a zoo. We're not a national park. We're a something else. Mm. <laughs> And there actually isn't anybody out there who's done what we collectively, and I talk about the community here, has done what we're doing. So we had to learn from lots of different types of experience, pool it in, understand it in the context of a free-ranging fox-proof sanctuary open to the public, and learn from our own experience. It's an incredible learning curve, like to, to go it alone with no mm -hmm. prior yeah. precedent set, that you had yeah. to really rely on your own instinct and community. Mm. We had no idea. Yeah. We had, when I think how <laughs> ignorant we were, I came in here thinking, I'm a human nurse, I understand mammals. Oh my gosh, for those of you out there who've worked with animals, you'll realize just how ignorant that was. <laughs> I mean, even things like the, the food and the drugs that are good for humans are dangerous for other mammals. Yeah. I just thought all mammals operate the same. So it's, and of course, it's not just mammals, it's Australian mammals, animals yeah, with true. animals I, with pockets to put yeah, their babies like in. So little re research on mm, that as well. Very little. There was a lot of learning. Like I learned through the fires because, you know, there was mm. a lot of people like myself would go out and help with yeah. the animals in the wild and what to feed. Mm, and what animals. not to feed. Yes, and that was the thing at the beginning. Everybody was going out with bird yeah, seed yeah, for the yeah. birds and people didn't understand how dangerous bird seed is yeah. for kangaroos. It kills them mm. a horrible slow death. Mm. So, you know, that whole education yeah. process that went on, but people have learned through that. Yeah. I know every time I have a conversation with somebody now about feeding wildlife, they say, oh, don't put bird yeah, seed yeah. out there. And like, <laughs> yeah, 
how we got that through. Left a mark. Yeah, made a difference. And, you know, these little things and then the community picks it up and pushes it out. And that's the strength of community. Both where if you don't know what you're doing, you get a lot of people with a bit of knowledge, you come together into context and you learn from that. And then when there's information that you need to get out there, you put it out and people send it out. And we all learn from that. I think but that's it's been where, sorry. where your business, like the, your business experience is also like absolutely mm. crucial. Uh, yeah, just whoever also to, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but just sitting there listening, appreciating everybody's mm. knowledge because mm. when you're a CEO of a company, chances are you won't know everything. You know, it's so funny you say that because when I was engaged, I used to get headhunted to fix broken businesses. Yeah. And I used to get the mandate, you either got to shut it down or fix it. Yeah. And we think you're probably going to have to shut mm. it down. I never had to shut down any of them. Uh. We saved everyone. But the way I did it, I think about the one company I walked into. Over the first two months, I spoke in groups of anything from one to 50. I spoke to every employee, even the people in the mailroom. And I spoke to every customer, every insurance broker, insurance agent, every single one of them in the first two months. And I said, I'm not doing anything until I've talked to them. And what they each gave me snippets of in the context of what everybody else gave me, gave me the solutions. Mm. I'd never yeah. thought of that before. That's what we're doing here. Mm. We're taking a little bit from everybody. We're looking at the context and saying, right, let's take some steps. And, and that's great for changing. our future because there's so much change with particularly climate and to yeah. have these processes that we've yeah. gone through now mm. to be able to implement them in future crises because yeah. we're going to see bushfires. Yes, because around. really we kind of keep seeing things we've never seen before. Mm. So we have to have processes that allow us to make the right decisions in situations that we haven't seen. I think you're going to be a wonderful mentor for a lot of other people out there right now. <laughs> totally. Yeah. An incredible inspiration to keep calm. Yeah. And it's fun. It's interesting. It, it's, 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 it's learning. Yeah, it's learning. <laughs> you know, what I learned in the fires also was I learned that negative emotions like um, fear, sadness, yeah. loss, we, we experience those as humans, but we need to, I remember my dad saying to me, always trust what you know, never trust your feelings. You can't control your feelings. You can control the facts. And so it's okay to feel, but don't let your feelings drive you. And one of the things I learned when we had a million hectares of fire burning less than four kilometers from us, able to reach us in hours, depending on the weather conditions, <laughs> somebody's telling us it's time to go, yeah. <laughs> is that we learned that um, those negative emotions are designed for human survival mm -hmm. so that when there's danger, we can either kill the enemy or run away. Yeah. And when you've got that fire burning next to you, I mean, we had the fire there for 13 weeks. Oh, and literally next to you. Yeah. Mm. The intensity was for five weeks, a million hectares of fire. You can't kill the enemy. You can't <laughs> run away. So those emotions are not helping you survive. Mm. So I actually learned through that process to just park those emotions. It doesn't stop me crying, but just yeah. park those emotions and just wake up every morning and look at the facts. Mm. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing now. And that was a learning from the fires and it's now helping us with COVID. Beautiful. What is your vision for the Central Coast? Well, I'm, I don't have a vision for the whole Central Coast because I am very focused on what goes on at Walkabout Park. But my vision is for the Central Coast to be as engaged as they want to be with what we do here and to do it in a managed way where it's constructive. We actually remove the emotion. I mean, you can see 
I feel. Mm. But it's really important to separate what we feel from what we know is the is, is necessary. Mm. And to get people involved sensibly, logically, and let's actually just plow away at saving more and more habitats and protecting more and more wildlife. Let's not save them to live in zoos because they've lost their world. Mm. Let's save their world. And my vision is that the Central Coast will help us do that. Beautiful. And humanity plays a role yeah. in that. I think mm. that's really yeah. important as mm. well in today's yeah. world. Mm. So where can people find you? Follow, follow us on Facebook. Send us messages. Now, I do find I am a bit overwhelmed with information coming through. Mm. So uh, we get so much support from the community. It's absolutely wonderful. That's what keeps me going every day is the, both the private messages and the posts on Facebook. <laughs> people saying, oh, yes, thumbs up little hearts, everything's working. I'm like, yeah, we're on the right track. But um, but it can be sometimes a little bit difficult to get my attention because yeah. there are so many conversations going on. So the best way is really to just phone Walkabout Park and ask to speak to me. And if I'm not available, I'll get back to you. If there's something that you want to get to me personally, if it's a general message of support, I do read most messages. Wow. I just sometimes find it a bit overwhelming to respond to them. Mm -hmm. So people can get us on Facebook people I'm trying we're getting a new website but our website Yay. as it is, <laughs> is 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 trying to tell the story of what we do yeah, and let people know what the situation is as it changes and boy is changing fast <laughs> um, but otherwise yeah phone calls to to walk about park if there's something that you really feel that it needs to bring to my attention we had a wonderful man call yesterday not yesterday five days ago it feels like <laughs> yesterday and he said I've got half a ton of kangaroo food for you Oh, and he brought gosh. us literally 500 kilograms of kangaroo pellets. Now, that's only going to last us a month or two. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. It was amazing. And I said, yeah. bring your family when you bring the bags. And he brought his family. There were 13 of them. And they went for a walk around the park and they dropped off all these kangaroo pellets. And we're just so grateful. So if there's something that you really need my attention on, just phone. If it's a general message of ideas and support and whatever, yeah. best thing is to use Messenger on Facebook. And, and alternatively, to... just drop in. Just drop in. Um, and be curious. Yeah. Come to see the yeah. bush yeah. Yeah. here in Calgary. Mm. And, we, you know, we don't get any government funding. Um, we have had the opportunity of things like JobKeeper and so on. But yeah. really what we do here is funded by people walking through the gates buying a ticket. Yeah. Come visit the animals. Yeah. That $30 or $25 or whatever your ticket costs, that goes straight to buying food and vets, uh, paying vet bills. And then the fundraising the we're doing. The education is yeah. huge and that's why we exist yeah if all we did was look after the animals here you'd have to so think work. are we doing it just for our egos because it's nice to work you, you totally animals. don't yeah like <laughs> you have your tiny little bedroom and everything else is basically <laughs> handed to the community well my entire um, house is actually accommodation <laughs> for groups i, I literally have one bedroom that. like yeah you, you mm. go, go closer and closer smaller yeah. with, with what is your own basically exactly yeah you just kind of um, get it smaller and smaller but that's all you need yeah. really and what you need is a bedroom a shower mm -hmm. and a you community. That's, and that's all you need. Yeah. Mm. So thank you so much. Thanks, guys, and thanks for thank caring. You. Yeah. Mm. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. And if you really enjoyed listening to today's Shiner, please support and share and shine a brighter light on our community here on the Central Coast. We can't wait to welcome you back. See you very soon. Two.